What's good, everybody? Welcome to Combos for the Culture, where we run to the conversations everybody else runs from. I am your host, the podcast poppy, Michael Butler. And we got a lot to talk about today. I have two amazing guests who's going to join me a little bit later. Um, Corey Scott and Nyleen Babu. Before we get to that, we're going to get right into it. Get into it, yeah. We're going to get right into it in this week's Jackass of the Week. And as you know, I say, Jackass of the Week is no respecter of person. My God, today. Jackass of the Week does not discriminate. Man, woman, non-binary. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, blue, yellow, Simpsons yellow, Avatar blue, Ninja Turtle green. You can get this Jackass of the Week smoke. This week's Jackass of the Week goes to white people. Dear white people. Now, why, 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 why am I saying it goes to white people? Because this past week, white folks have showed their whole entire Casper tale. Why? I'll tell you. As we know, the Little Mermaid trailer was released, the mini trailer was released uh, last weekend at the D23 Expo. Um, that's where Disney pretty much shows us everything that's coming out, right? A lot of dope stuff coming from Disney. But they showed us the little trailer, a little piece of the trailer of the live action Little Mermaid movie. Now, we remember when we got news that Halle Bailey not to be confused with Halle Berry, but Halle Bailey was cast as Ariel, and everybody was like, eh, oh, the Little Mermaid's the why is the Little Mermaid black? Why is she black? Well, she's black because this girl can sing, she got soul. We, 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 we love the original, the OG Little Mermaid, but there's just something about what, what Halle did with this song. Oh my goodness, chef's kiss. So we saw her, she said, well, just listen to this. Listen to the, how she ended it. These little notes at the end. Just listen right here. Out of the sea Wish I could be anointing the ointments the anointments on she put the anointing on that song y'all so i loved it and i i just loved it and i i saw that trailer and i was like it was beautiful well not everybody loved it youtube disney actually had to disable their likes on youtube because on youtube that video got one as of the time that i'm recording this it has 1.5 million dislikes 1.5 million dislikes. What were y'all disliking? Black excellence? Because the girls sang down. It was beautiful. I mean, we saw um, all of the blind reactions that were going up on um, social media this past week of children, black, white, all, you know, all children just looking at it. And they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. But then you have these grown ass white folk <laughs> at their big ages complaining, talking about, 
Ariel is supposed to be white. What about representation, huh? What about our representation? You guys had Tiana. Tiana was a servant. <laughs> and she had a frog who wasn't even the Black American, okay? Listen, the director said, out of all of the people who auditioned, all shapes, sizes, colors, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? Hallie won because she was the best. She did the best. And I'm sorry that something was taken away from y'all. Welcome to being Black in America. I'm sorry that you guys had something taken away from you. You'll be okay. I didn't see y'all complaining when Elvis Presley, uh, the new Elvis movie came out and he's being celebrated for being a culture vulture. Yeah, because he stole from Big Mama Thornton. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. all the time. Because she has soul. She said, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. Crying all the time. But we've had to swallow that pill for years. We've had to swallow appropriation for years. Black women for years, they've been, uh, what's the word? They've been disrespected and dishonored for their cornrows. But when the Kardashians do it, it's boxer braids. It's trendy. It's cool. It's posh. Listen, Halle Bailey is Ariel. She is the Little Mermaid. So you can dislike all you want, but guess what? We as the black folks gonna do, we gonna show up. When Little Mermaid comes out, we gonna be in that theater front and center it's going to be a move. We're going to make it a whole entire thing the same way we went up for Black Panther. Speaking of Black Panther, I saw this post and uh, somebody was like, oh, what would you guys do if they made T'Challa, if Ryan Gosling played T'Challa? You <laughs> really? Y'all have had so much representation over the years. Let's talk about Cleopatra being portrayed as a white woman. Hello, Elizabeth Taylor playing Cleopatra, but y'all don't want to talk about that. So y'all have taken roles from people. Y'all have done so much. Let us have this one. No, no, no. I'm not even going to say let us have this one because we're taking this one. Whether you like it or not. Wish I could be. <laughs> you wish you could be her, but you're not. So you're sitting on the internet mumbling and cackling. Imagine that. Imagine that. So you all are the jackass of the week, okay? Because you don't see me complaining, right? Talking about, oh, you don't see any purple people out here talking about, oh my God, why is a white woman playing Ursula? She's taking the role away from, from purple people. The purple people ain't complaining, so why are you complaining, huh? Why are you complaining? Put down your white privilege, okay? Throw it away, throw it in the sea, throw it under the sea, okay? You're gonna be all right. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you're still gonna have your privilege. You're still gonna have your privilege, okay? So suck this one up and shut the hell up. And if we wanna really be honest, Halle Bailey does not look like a mermaid. If we want to be honest, Jody Benson, I think that's her name, she does not, that portrayal did not look like a mermaid. If y'all really wanted an accurate depiction of what quote unquote mermaids look like in mythology, that's 
shit would be scary as hell, and you wouldn't take your kids to it. So stop it. All right? That's all I got. Y'all are the jackass of the week. We're going to take a real quick break, and we will be back with the really dope Emmys recap. You are listening to Convos for the Culture. Let's pay those bills. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back to Convos for the Culture. We are back, and I want to talk about the Emmys because, you know, these award shows, um, they have a long-standing history of being, um, what do you call it? Super white. <laughs> Super white. That you know, Oscar's so white, Grammy's so white, you know, they never really recognize black folks. But the Emmys did something right. They finally got it right this year. and Because there was a lot of representation at the Emmys. Um, and not just for black folks. Um, shout out to our folks over the seas, over in Asia. One of my favorite shows, uh, Squid Game. They won some awards. The actor from Squid Game, he won the awards. Um, there's some of y'all who I want to send to go play Squid Game, but that is <laughs> neither here or there. <laughs> you heard me. But no, um, the highlight. We're just gonna get into the Emmys, okay? So one of the highlights of my night was seeing the amazing, the iconic, the legendary queen, Cheryl Lee Ralph, win um, the best supporting actress in a comedy series for Abbott Elementary. Awesome, amazing show if you haven't seen it. Her speech was amazing. You know what? I can show you, but I can tell you. Roll the clip, Lizzie. an endangered species but I sing no victim song I am a woman I am an artist and I know where my had a dream and thought your dream wasn't, wouldn't, couldn't come true, I am here to tell you that this is what believing looks like. This is what striving looks like. And don't you ever, ever give up on you because if you get a Quinta Brunson in your corner, if you get a husband like mine in your corner, if you get children like mine in your corner, and if you've got friends like everybody who voted for me, cheered for me, loved me, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so you heard that. I mean, first of all, 
they know who to cut the music on for. You know, the music get off the stage music and they know who not to cut it on for. And they let mother get up there. Not only did mother, not only did mother um give a speech, but mother sang a song and I loved it. It was amazing. It was uh, it was amazing to see her get her flowers. Um she's been in the game since 1977. She's the original Dina Jones from Dream Girls, okay? Um, she is, we all remember in Sister Act when she told Lauren Hill, singing does not pay the bills. Well, mother, singing and acting does pay the bills, and they finally got you a well-deserved Emmy. I loved it. I loved her. I've loved her in everything that she's been in. Um, I mean, we've seen, we, we've seen mother in everything. Moesha, she played Moesha Mitchell's stepmom, D. Dee was such a strong black woman. Um, we loved Dee. And when old Dirty Dick Frank cheated on her, when we found out, oh, listen, Frank. I was with Dee when she was, she was ready to move because Frank was no good. But that's, that's another conversation for another time. She's been in so much stuff over the years. Like I said, Moesha, she's had guest starring roles. Um, she's just done a little bit of everything. She's an icon. She's a legend. And it was time for her to finally, finally get her flowers and flowers she got. What's crazy, what the crazy thing to me was, I'm sorry, y'all. The popo is outside. The ambulance is outside. Black folks, we always call it an ambulance. They're outside. So if you can hear that, my bad. Anyways, um, it was crazy because this is the first time she is the only she's only the second person. Okay. She is only the second person to win this award. The award was originally um won by previously won by Jack A. Harry for um two two seven, a role that Cheryl Lee Ralph was actually supposed to play. So that's crazy, full circle moment. We love to see it. We love to see it. And it was so beautiful because everybody in there was standing up. She got an ovation. She got a standing ovation. So shout out to Shirley Ralph. Um, I just think it shouldn't. I hate to see it takes black women so long to get their flowers, especially in this industry. So long. There's so many iconic black women who just haven't gotten the the, the respect, the honor, the praise, the admira ad adoration. <laughs> adoration that they deserve, but it was good to see that. She was not the only black woman who uh, shone bright like a diamond on uh, the, 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 the Emmys. Also shining bright like a diamond was Quinta Brunson. I love, 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 love Quinta so much. Um, I love Quinta. I remember back from BuzzFeed when she was like, ooh, he got money. And to see her go from that to where she's at now is just beautiful. She won for Best Writing um, for Abbott Elementary's pilot. Like, this is her moment. Now, this was her moment. And there was some controversy sitting around because, you know, but folks, folks don't want Black women to shine. We just talked about that at the beginning, right, with Halle Bailey being attacked by, you know, Make America, I mean, make Ariel White again crew. But um, Jimmy Kimmel, and I actually like Jimmy Kimmel, but Jimmy Kimmel had this bit where he was getting drunk because he never wins his award or what, wins an award. So he was too drunk to present. So they rolled him out there. They did not roll him. They dragged him out there. Oh, he passed out or whatever, got drug out there. Um, And when she won her award, 
he stayed true to the bit. Now, comedians do this thing where they say, commit to the bit, right? Commit to the bit. So he was committed to the bit, but I felt like he should have been dragged out. Because at the end of her award, her again, after her speech and she walked off, um, Will Arnett dragged him off the stage. So I feel like you could have dragged him off the stage when it came time for her award, because this was her first Emmy, and I felt like Quinta deserved it. But Quinta said that it wasn't an issue that Jimmy and her have a close relationship. And they even after, you know, afterwards they took a picture together and she was like playing around and she covered his face with the Emmy. I don't know. I don't know. Let me know guys what you think of it. Let me know. Hit me up in the DMs or um actually um email me. I don't know if y'all still email but combos FTC at Gmail. Um I want to know what y'all y'all thought about that. Was he out of line? Um, initially, you know, the Malcolm X in me was like, get this off my stage. Get him off my TV. Like, I was mad, but then I thought about it. It was like, if she's not mad, then I'm not going to be mad. But then I thought, well, maybe she's not mad because she's just happy to be at the table and she doesn't want to ruin anything. But I don't know. Sometimes, you know, having a revolutionary mindset causes you to just, like, spiral. So it is what it is. But shout out to Quinta B. Um, who else won? Oh, who else won? Lizzo. Shout out to Lizzo. Lizzo is on her way to an EGOT. She already got the Grammy, and she um she um won for her reality TV show, her competition show that really celebrates the big girls, right? The celebrates. Let's listen to her speech because I actually really enjoyed her speech as well. All I wanted to see was me in the media, someone fat like me, black like me, beautiful like me. <laughs> if I could go back and tell little Lizzo something, I'd be like, you gonna see that person, but bitch is gonna have to be you. <laughs> All right, so you heard it. I love Lizzo because she owns herself. She owns her body. She like, folks always, oh, she's fat. Oh, she does too much. Woo, woo, woo. And she said, you know what? Y'all can say what you want to say, but I'm going to keep on winning. And not only am I going to keep on winning, but y'all going to watch me win. Watch me work. Right? Watch me work. Watch me twerk. All of that. Meanwhile, Aries Spears continues to take L's. <laughs> Shout out to Aries Spears. Hope you have a good lawyer. <laughs> Hope you have a good lawyer. Imagine sitting at home mumbling and cackling. When you talked about Lizzo and she's on stages winning Grammys and winning Emmys. And you're at home winning nothing, getting sued for being a chimo, a chomo. <laughs> okay. That's a child molester, y'all. But, oh, allegedly. Ah, I can't say any of that. Oh, scrap that from the record. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh but he did have that inappropriate video with tiffany hatch okay zendaya let me move on before i get myself in trouble <laughs> zendaya zendaya became the first black woman to win back to back for outstanding lead actress in the drama series the first black woman was viola davis who played annalise keating or as Cicely Tyson called her in the show, anime, on how to get away with murder. And Zendaya won for uh, playing Rue in Euphoria. It was amazing. It was amazing. Like, 
I remember the episode that I, I literally tweeted it out. I, I have the records, let the records reflect, right? Um, and actually, while I'm talking, I'm going to pull that up because, you know, when, when, when I say something's going to happen, it happens. Hello? So I'm sitting here. So if you guys have any euphoria, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's an amazing show. I will say it's, um, what's the word? I will say it's, it, it could be triggering. It could be triggering um, because it's a lot sometimes. It's a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I, I knew she was going to win, but basically I said something along the lines of, because I'm, it's not working for me to try to find it, but basically it was on the lines of that performance alone gets her her second Emmy because there's an episode and anybody who watches Euphoria, they know the exact episode. If you say that episode, everybody knows what that episode is. And she, we see life of an addict at their lowest moment and she did amazing um her speech was very um I, I i rocked with her speech it was very humble she's just a pure she seems like just a really pure-hearted person so shout out to zendaya making history and she's the youngest to do it youngest to win back to back um so those were the black queens who won so shout out once again shout out to zendaya shout out to uh quinta brunson shout out to Cheryl Lee Ralph, and shout out to lizzo and then we have some more representation because uh keenan you know say what you want about keenan but keenan was the host and keenan did his thing they had they had a really cool uh montage at the beginning and after the friend montage he said has anybody seen um friend? no he said has anybody seen uh living single i think y'all would like it it went over a lot of people's heads, you know, but that was brilliant because he was basically saying that, um, you know, um, basically living single was friends, but friends copied living single. Everybody knows that, right? Um, once again, once again, back to Ariel, right? Y'all mad because, you know, we got Ariel, but y'all literally stole living single from under us, and then you act like Friends is like one of the greatest shows ever made. Ba, 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 da, da, da. It's not. Um, but yeah, he was awesome. Keenan was awesome. He brought Kel. They had a good burger reunion. I loved it. It was good. Feel good moments. Shout out to Keenan doing his thing, representing all of that. Um, also, we have some really great uh, more representation. So Coleman Domingo. All right. So we had black men representation, but black queer men. So like that's a whole, you know, they don't like to give black folks awards anyways. But not only do they give black folks award, they give black men who identify as gay as well. So it was like, yo, OK, things may be changing at the Emmy. So first of all, Coleman Domingo, awesome actor. He's actually going to be playing Bayard Rustin in the upcoming field film Bayard. Uh, Bayard Rustin was a civil rights activist. He's actually the mastermind behind the March on Washington. So everybody talks about the March on Washington, Dr. King, blase, blase, and we respect Dr. King, but this was the mastermind behind it. But he really didn't get the love and attention and the, uh, the accolades. Why? Because he was homosexual. He was a homosexual. Y'all know that sound on TikTok. <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't get that. But now, so Coleman Domingo's playing him. But Coleman actually won Best um, Guest Starring Role in a Dramatic Series for his role in Euphoria. And the brother acts down. Anything that he's ever been in, he's acted down. If you guys are not familiar with his work, he's also known for 
um, playing um, on um, Victor Strand. I almost said Victor Strange. That's some comic book stuff. But Victor Strand on 99 episodes of Fear of the Walking Dead. So he's no stranger to TV. Shout out to him. And also shout out to Gerard Carmichael. I love me some Gerard Carmichael. Um, for those of you who might not know him or be familiar with him, he was the master behind, behind the Carmichael show, which he wrote, directed, and starred in. Carmichael's show was, oh, it was so good. It was him, Lil Rel, Tiffany Haddish. Um, Loretta Devine was in it, was it? Yes, she played his, Loretta played his mama. And David Allen Greer. It was such a great show. And then um, Amber Stevens. But um, she was in the two. But it was a great show. Great show, great show, great show, great show. But um, he actually won Best um, Comedy, no, Best Variety Special, I think it was, for his, you know, I'm sitting here, like, asking myself the question. And like, I have the notes right in front of me, y'all. I be forgetting sometimes that. Because for a while, remember, I was just doing this without a phone. I mean, with just a phone, but I have I have some notes. So let me look at my notes because I like to be I like to be prepared for y'all. I I I I like to because you know y'all like to be uh, what's the word? Some of y'all like to be trolls and be like, oh, you said this, but he really won for this. And it be the people who don't make content who be saying stuff. But hey, man, God bless you. Oh yeah, so he uh, won for he won an Emmy for his outstanding writing for a variety special. Uh, it came out earlier this year or late last year. One of the two. Uh, it's called Rothenale, and um, it was so good. It was so good. It was real. It was raw. It was funny. It was reflective, and basically, his comedy special was just him talking about his experience as a black man, and like he used that to he used that special to come out and just talking about the challenges of coming out. Um, let's play a real quick, quick clip. I was really out here lying, though. <laughs> There's a thing. I came out too late. Like a little too late. I was like 30. That it gets better shit is for the kids. Like that's not for an adult man figuring himself out. Like they don't want that. Nobody wants that shit. All my friends felt like I was just duplicitous. Like I was just lying to them. They they didn't know who I was. They all reacted like Sally Field and Mrs. Doubtfire. They were like the whole time. Like they were very mad about that shit. <laughs> it cleared up my relationship with all my black homegirls. My friend Ashley told me before I came out, she, she could sense it. She was like, please just tell me you're gay so this all makes sense. <laughs> I guess it's like only so many times you can like FaceTime a woman to see if your outfit looks okay. All right, so yeah, he won for that. I'm excited to see what happens with him next. Um, and just once again, it was just so good to see beautiful black people win. Now, it wouldn't be me if I didn't complain about something. Issa Rae did not win. And I'm like, how did we get five seasons of Insecure and they did not win? They didn't want they. And if I don't recall... Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, she ain't won then one thing for black kids. These are two shows that were really important for black culture, black uh, blackish and insecure. And I feel like Issa Rae should have won something. And I understand she's going to be around more and she'll get her flowers. But listen, 
Insecure. She wouldn't. She should have won for Best Actress. But they keep giving it to stuff that I don't even want to watch. I'll be watching Ted Lasso. I wasn't watching Veep. Veep. How many awards do y'all got to give Julia Dreyfus? Do 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 do. Huh? She don't need no more awards. But anyways, <laughs> did y'all watch the Emmys? Let me know. All right. Let me know if y'all watch the Emmys. Uh, this has been good. Uh, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back off of that, we're going to take a break, and when we come off a break, um, we're going to have a really important conversation. So I want you all to stick around for that. You are listening to Combos for the Culture. I'm your host, Michael Butler, and we will be back after this. I'm excited about this conversation today. I got two amazing people who uh, I've met uh, on Clubhouse, actually. So not all bad things come from come from clubhouse <laughs> um i have two awesome guests nile and Corey scott how are y'all doing hey happy tuesday so well, there's yeah it's tuesday here well happy... yeah so they're gonna a... hear this on a day other than tuesday but that's okay okay <laughs> so there's a Corey scott who's a medical like he's the senior vice president at a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. um it, he's not Corey l scott Corey L. Scott, yes. Yeah. 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 Listen, Corey <laughs> L. Scott. Okay, real quick. So, um, not starting with you, Natalie, and then Corey L. Scott. Just tell the people who are listening a little bit about yourselves, uh, so they know who I'm talking to. Ooh, um, I'm a Georgia native. I am a black trans woman. Um, I come from commercial real estate and studied psychology in school. Um, so I started doing conversations. Um, to, to talk more about liberation of queer and trans people, specifically those that are black and brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I started my own business, Just Sweet Natalie Consulting, to do more DEI um, conversations with corporations and panel discussions um, state countrywide. Um, short and sweet, that's me. I love it. I love it. Corey L. Scott, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Gotta put the L. <laughs> uh, I am originally from Chicago by way of DC. I currently reside in New York. I am an author, activist, Mm. former pastor, theologian, Mm. chairperson of the Ratchet Preachers Club, um, managing partner of Black Gay Men Chat, LLC, and co-founder with Nile of the Just Sweet Nile Mutual Aid Collective. Awesome, which we're going to talk about before we get into yeah. it real quick, before we get into it real quick. Since you lived in Chicago and you've lived in New York, who has the better pizza? Oh, that was a disrespectful question for you to even ask me, knowing that I'm from Chicago. I don't even know why you would go there about this grease on cardboard with cheese yes. that they fucking call pizza. We. Okay. We were cool, Micah. Don't don't ever come from my Chicago neck like that. I'm again. not. I'm from Chicago. I just wanted to know since you, I live here. Right. I, 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 I mean, now the pizza, the pizza is better. We yeah. gonna stop there. Okay. I don't want nobody <laughs> from O Block coming to look for me. Ooh. Amen. So Ooh. what we're gonna do before we get into the actual uh, interview, um, I we do a game here and it's called Black Card Revoked. Right. Black Card Ooh. Revoked. And basically, I asked my guest, what is something about you that you feel will get your quote unquote black card revoked? Uh, I'll start with you, Nile. I still have not seen New Jack City. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> and I haven't seen all of Menace to Society. Okay. I mean, some people would definitely um, go ahead and snatch that card up for that one. Sheesh. Uh, <laughs> okay. My, my assistant is drafting the email right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that's revocable? New Jack City? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Minister Society. Okay. Mm. New Jack City, um, we have to have a, a review. Like, I got to call the committee. Um, you I'm, understand the references, though, right, Nile? Like the Yeah. Like I, I am my brother's keeper. Yeah, I know the references. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you know Pookie, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you just never seen it. I seen Minnesota Society in South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. So I understood all the references okay. um, and the parody, but I was like, huh. So, so the references he just gave you were in fact from New Jack City and not Minnesota <laughs> Society. See that? See how I haven't seen it? Wow. This is, okay, okay we're going to move because you're upsetting me and my homegirls. And if we can't go to Bella Dolce's, where, then where, where, where could you go? You go? Um, what could get my black card revoked? Um, two things. Mm. I do not eat hot sauce. <sighs> I hope okay. he's put CC and you on that same email. <laughs> I don't. I don't, don't eat, eat hot, hot sauce. I don't eat hot sauce. Do you eat mild sauce? Hell yeah. Okay. Hell but, yeah. Do you eat hot wings? I do eat hot wings. So just the actual hot sauce. Like when when our cousins be pouring hot sauce on everything. Yeah, like chicken, like Hillary Clinton made a fool of us. Oh, I keep it in my No, I don't eat hot sauce. Oh, so okay. if it's not like hot wings or something that has it, I'm not adding hot sauce to shit. I've never done that ever. It's not a thing. And the other is one of my favorite songs is a country song called Mama's House by um Dustin Lynch. Oh, and then yo, like if there is somebody <laughs> in like a dope ass RB singer, I'm telling you, if y'all did an RB cover of Dustin Lynch's Mama's House, that shit would go so hard. But it is a country song that I enjoy a great deal. It might get my black card river vote. Might, I think it did. And um <laughs> it's given slave catcher because it's Something Lynch, Mama's House, something just don't fit right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is hilarious. It's upsetting my ancestors. The song says, I burn this whole town down if it oh wasn't my, God. my mama's Ooh. house. Whoa, this giving Tulsa. He said, if it, like wasn't it. For, if it wasn't for my mama's house, I burn this whole motherfucker down. Girl, you tried it with me. You played in my face. I burn all the shit down. Dig a hole, put the ashes in the ground because she broke his heart. Okay. It's a country. It's bona fide country, baby. It don't get no more country than that. And I fucks with country music. Shout out to Nigerians that like country music, too. Y'all didn't know that, but country music is real popular with Nigerians. I'm actually emailing Black Panther right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all, y'all heard it. Uh, let us know in the comments, do you think either one of these offenses uh, will get your black card revoked. We're going to take a real quick break. And then after we get back, I'm going to interview these awesome individuals about the work they're doing. You're listening to Combros for the Culture, and we'll be back. Yo, what's good? What's good? 
I know that you're loving the show, but before you move on, I need you to give us a rating and a review. Yes, pull that phone out. Give us a rating and a review. Why? Because when you give us a rate, when you give us a review, this podcast gets pushed out to more people. And I know that you love the combo. So please, please, please let somebody else love the combo as well. That's all. That's all I wanted. Now back to the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Combos for the Culture. I'm here with Corey and Nylee. Um, let's just get into it. Um so today, I want to talk to you all about the launch of the Jesui Nile Mutual Aid Collective and Mutual Aid Fund. Um, let's just start off. What is this fund? Um, who is it helping? And um, what really pushed you all to start this? Um, I'll go first. Um, so I met Corey on Clubhouse long, long time ago days, maybe like two years ago when we all... Gang, gang. <laughs> yeah. We... Um... We're all shut in due to COVID. So we were all on Clubhouse. Um, I was already starting conversations under Life of a Trans Woman. Um, Corey was under Black Gay Men Chat. I didn't know Corey. I think we just came into one conversation and we were connected after that. Um, we were actually having a conversation around ball, a ballroom and the, the term butch queen. So we connected. Um, and ever since then, we were connected at the hip. My mission has always been to, to have a mutual aid fund. And we initially spoke about that when we first met. Um, I wanted to go into public housing and affordable housing and making a foundation for black and brown queer people to have places to go, seek refuge, all of those things. Um, it aligned everything with Corey's. And so we said, okay. Um, I recently left my job. I was a... a, a asset manager for commercial real estate um, throughout Atlanta, all the way to Macon oh, wow. uh, in Columbus, Georgia. Um, I went to Fiji, came back from Fiji, and I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Um, all right, Corey, I'm counting on you. You count on me. Um, so now we're, we're full throttle in this, making sure it gets up and running and giving it the, the groundswell that it needs because um, this is our baby. So now we got to raise it well. Yeah. So, man, for like season one of Clubhouse was super, <laughs> super duper important, right? That 2020 class in Clubhouse. And you just saw how interconnected all of us are actually, right? The isolation proved how much connection means. And when we couldn't go outside, when we couldn't, you know, get together physically everybody found a way to do that mm -hmm. and clubhouse was one of those ways in doing so you came face to face with a lot of vulnerability because when people start talking they start talking and you hear all mm -hmm. the shit that's happening in people's lives all the things that are going on and that was happening more and more in all of our spaces in black gay men chat in the cookup in life of a trans woman in the slums of clubhouse god bless y'all um you know things would come up and naili would mobilize to help meet somebody's need we would do the same thing on black gay men chat side and over and over again we started just collaborating on all of these efforts 
right? And so the stuff that we talked about were not only conversation, they were real life situations and things that we were already addressing. Mm -hmm. um, and so this year, there were some things that I wanted to do in the way of organizationally with Black Gay Men Chat and collaborating. There were things Nylee wanted to do. And we had a conversation and just decided to do it together and, and to jump. Nylee has spent a lot of time and resources and everything pouring into community in different ways than I have because she was managing real estate portfolios. Not <laughs> your boy. Um, <laughs> so my offerings were a little different, but together, my professional background, Nylee's, as well as our hearts, you know, have, have brought us to this moment. So we launched the, the Mutual Aid Collective to support Black and Brown queer identified folks who face positions of financial hardship, emergencies, or needs. And our goal is to erect a fund that any Black and Brown person across the country of, of queer identity can reach out to us in a tense moment in their lives when shit comes up, shit hits the fan, and we be in a position to help them. Mm. And not just emotion. I mean, um, material needs, but also yeah, well, um, emotional and psychological needs too. As we're building our our team, we're we're wanting to facilitate mental health as well in that because that's so that's so crucial and, and important. But also something to note that we're both black and queer. Um, the people that we're wanting to employ will be black and queer. Um, it is it's just we want to do something that 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 focuses on black and brown people that are facing a, a, a disproportionate um, amount of suffering, whether it be socioeconomically, psychologically, physically. We want to tap yeah. into all of those. In our, in our press release, I shared the stats on um, LGBTQ poverty. Mm as opposed, you know, when when you look at the larger population. So LGBTQ folk um, account for a smaller percentage of the population, but account for a larger percentage of um, people who are more likely to be in poverty or who are more likely to experience financial hardships. And then that number grows exponentially when you start talking about trans-identified folk and bisexual black women, right? Those two groups are the largest homeless and financially insecure or how that face houselessness and financial insecurity. So can we talk about that real quick? Um, yeah. For the I know why, but for the listeners, um, why is that? Yeah, it's 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 so many things, right? Um and and the leading factor of it is LGBTQ youth homelessness. Yep. So LGBTQ Q youth account for um, fifteen percent of the youth population overall, right? It it matches with the number as far as when we start parsing out populations based upon demographics. LGBTQ youth are about fifteen percent. When we start talking about houselessness, that number for sampling jumps to somewhere between thirty-five and forty percent for LGBTQ youth especially black and brown identified. And that's largely because for whatever reason, we eject our children from housing, from familial units, from community, from security 
at a rate that outpaces everybody else. And so you have that that leads to financial insecurity, housing insecurity, food insecurity, that leads people into um, necessitating uh, sex work and different things so that they can actually live, which also contributes to a whole nother line of negative statistics that I can bring out about the lifespan, the health inequities and all of that shit. Because for whatever reason, my son ain't gonna be gay in my motherfucking house. My daughter ain't gonna be doing that dyke shit in my house. That's the sh- that's how we talk mm-hmm. often. And then, you know, the all the protect the kids rhetoric went out the door when your child was queer. Hello. You know what's crazy though? Um, I had this conversation with someone earlier, um, because one of my goals one day is to be able to have some type of housing for LGBTQ team teams because they're the ones getting kicked out the house. Um, as we, leave. did Michael just say Michael was joining the collect? Go ahead, Michael. I'm I, sorry. I would love to, I would okay, love yeah, to sounds like yeah, partnership um, here. And as we know, the kids, so they kick the kids out as soon as they find out that they're gay. But what I don't understand is there's these same people have drug dealers in their homes and they don't care. They have gang bangers in their homes and they don't care. We've had those conversations on Clubhouse. Yeah. Where people have said, you know, if my son was a murderer, literally said this out their mouths. Yeah. They would be more okay with that than if their son said they that I'm transitioning. I'm not your son. And and, and so, and you also have um, Uncle Joe, who you got to put your shirt on because if he comes around, but the monsters, yeah, and just and just beyond um, uh, family units and and um, community, that we still live in a world that is still transphobic. That's how we've been socialized. That we are socialized to be against. Queer people, anti. Okay, let's use anti-queer, anti-trans, because people go in a tizzy with the word transphobia. I'm not a phobic. Ooh, pick up a dictionary, but it is still like queer and trans people still have to go and apply for jobs, right? So, what does that look like if you go to an employer and you are black and brown and also queer and trans? What does that look like with resources and doing a resume? What does that look like for um, starting out and being able to move up? What does that look like if you get the job and how people are treating you? So like, there's so many things that are at play all at the same time, being disowned, disbarred and excommunicated from your communities, then having to try to find community um, which is chosen family is extremely important, but then still needing to survive and feed yourself. So what does that look like as a teenager? What does that look like as a young adult? What does that look like as an adult? What does that look like with the trauma of being being thrown out and cast away by the people that loved you first? Like we don't talk about how that that trauma transcends beyond me trying to figure out who I am and then declaring who I am and then now having to tell the world who I am. There are so many things that happen in that place that's not just exclusive to that's not just exclusive to like um, communal units. Uh, I mean, we still live in the world that's anti-black. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so all of that really has painted the picture for what our priorities as a collective are, okay. right? So the majority, the lion's share of, of what we will always do will be making sure that the mutual aid fund is sufficiently um, raised so that we can meet people's financial needs. As long as that's a need, we always gonna do that. But the part that Nylee just spoke about that I 
alluding to about mental health, it shaped itself as a priority for us. So as we were going through the budget priorities, we said, hey, the mutual aid fund is priority number one, but we're also going to make sure that we budget for paying for mental health services um, for people who might not have access to that, right? And so we're working with um, some mental health providers to, to figure out what this relationship is gonna look like. So when you are dealing with those things that have created this financial need that has to be met, there are awesome psychological, psychosocial, emotional things that may need to be addressed as well. So we're trying to pull all the pieces together. So I'm not just giving you a check here, go on your way, but we're building resources. That's why there's a, a larger collective and not just the mutual aid fund. I love that, and especially that mental health piece. Um, even with just looking at my own journey through life, um, I think that mental health piece is so important, especially for many of us. You know, we come from, um, as Black people, we come from very religious homes, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and then, so you go through life like, oh, it's a sin. Oh, you're going to hell. Oh, you being gay, you're going to hell. You being trans, you're going to hell. And then you deal with family members who either don't, who don't accept you, right? Who kick you out, like we just talked about, or people who give the whole, well, I love you anyways, because you're my child, right? Like, and then dealing with that, because that's that in itself is saying, if you weren't my child, then I wouldn't F with you, right? I wouldn't rock with you, but we wouldn't be in community. So like a lot of us deal with that on an everyday basis, just that family piece. So I think the mental health thing is really important because for a lot of us, it's like our whole entire lives, we're trying to, even for me, a lot of the times I try to prove myself um, professionally so I could be like, see, I made my, I, you know, I did this and I did that. I did this. I did that. When a lot, for a lot of us, it's really, we're proving ourselves in another area of life because we just want to be accepted as who we are. So I think that mental health piece is important because for so many of us, we navigate without that mental health piece. So let me offer you this as we talk through this and you'll, you'll hear me make this distinction. Mm -hmm. There is a difference, Micah between family and relatives. There's a whole lot of people I'm related to that are not family. You don't have my best interest. You don't, you don't regard me warmly. Your space is not familial. There is no bond there. And those individuals are often some of the individuals that contribute the most harm. I am related to you by blood. Family transcends that, right? And I think a lot of people have a hard time even taking the steps to grow and heal because we are tied to this idea of owing family. I'm related to you. I didn't have no choice in that. My mama and dad, they did that. Family is a decision that I make actively. And so some of my relatives are absolutely family. Shout out to my sisters. Whew, Lord, they go hard. If y'all fuck with me, y'all got to deal with them, right? I, ha I have family in my relatives, but family extends far beyond that. And that's one of the things that I try to give people to help them start that journey of even growing and liberating themselves. Because you'll have these ideas tied to family and shit that'll keep you ever trying to prove yourself, ever trying to get their acceptance, ever trying to 
figure out the thing. What is the thing? Like, yeah. we're, you're my family. We're supposed to be. It's all right. There's a difference between family and relatives. Oof, that's good. Nile, you said something. Um, you know, you used the word phobic, right? Um, so there's a, something I want to post to you because I hear this. And I, I hear it on Clubhouse at least once a week, but I used to hear it. I've heard it in other circles when people are like, oh, just because I don't agree with the lifestyle, right? Um, that doesn't mean that I'm phobic because phobic is a fear of something and I'm not afraid of trans people. I'm, a, I'm not afraid of gay people. Uh, I just don't want them to be around. Um, what do you think about that when people try to say, oh, I... I don't like milk, but that doesn't mean that I'm trans. That doesn't mean that I'm milk phobic. What do you think about when people girl their argument? <laughs> I think people try to grapple with um, with that when they know the truth, and and it's difficult to speak it. Um, so like my club life of a trans woman, I make sure I give volume to all of that. It's very uncomfortable in my space. Mm -hmm. It's very awkward. It's very uneasy. But I am someone that they call the queen of unpacking because we're gonna. We're going to get the, to the undercurrents of what that is. And if you can understand racism and how it is not just not liking Black people or having a fear of Black people, then you can also understand how transphobia is not just disliking trans people, that it's, right. a, it's discriminatory, it's, it's an aversion, it's, it's um, what is the word that I use instead of, um, it's a prejudice. So mm -hmm. if you can understand that there are so many undercurrents of how transphobia, homophobia, anti-Blackness informs how we engage in relationships, I think people just use whatever they can grapple with in that moment to, to appease their own self-esteem. Because when I hear a person say, I'm not, I'm not transphobic because I don't have a fear. Yeah, but you have the fear of, of, re of being rejected from community. You have a fear of... of of, of of being deemed a horrible person or somebody judging you based off of that. When we've all been socialized in the same guise, I've been socialized to be transphobic. I've been socialized to be um, queerphobic. I, I've been socialized under the same things that's been taught and predicated on cis heteronormativity in the exact same ways. I was taught the same language. I was taught the same media representation. So I, I, I don't have a problem when people say that. I have a problem when people are willfully obtuse, where I, when I draw parallels, or if I show you how this shows up and what that means, and we can change the words. I'll even say anti, I'll mm -hmm. say trans negative. I'll say all the different things to, to appease you, but then sometimes you just have to name a thing a thing. You have a prejudice towards trans people. And if you look at definitions, as most people do, they pick apart the one that fits the narrative. Like we know that words have meanings of their own and how it transcends in society. Lit doesn't mean the same thing as it did last year. It means so many different things like black. Like if we define black, there's so many different ways of people to define it. And, and I even understand that a lot of people will say, well, well, how you define transphobia is different from how this person defines transphobia, how you define homophobia. Yeah, but it is still an aversion and it's, it's a discriminatory act. It's, it's a, it's a, is an assassination on my humanity. So if you understand that and how anti-blackness anti-blackness is expansive, then you have to be able to understand how queerphobia and transphobia are also equally as expansive. I love that answer. Um because I think that's something that we all 
you know, there's a lot in life we all have to unpack and unlearn. There's been times that I've been a misogynist and nobody wants to hear somebody say, oh, you're upholding misogyny. You're like, no, I'm not. I can't because no. But when you actually take time and listen to people, then it's like, oh, maybe I was a little bit uh, misogynist. Maybe I was a little bit transphobic. Right. And a lot of this stuff is little microaggressions, things that you don't even notice, things that you don't realize, because like you said, society kind of trains us. But once you know, then you have to do the work. Then you have a choice. Okay, now that I'm here and this is, you know, staring me in my face, either I can make the changes or I can continue to live like I'm living. But if you continue to push that misogyny, push, it, uh, push that transphobia, the queerphobia, all of those things, that's a willful choice. And when you're called out on it, you can't get offended. Because a lot of our behaviors are subconscious, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are people that we act do off of habits. Sometimes there's no thought. Like how many times have you drove home and you didn't realize that you drove home? Like you did it. Like you don't know. It's We're creatures mm -hmm. of habit. So a lot of times our behaviors are in our subconscious. But now when we, we make you conscious and aware of it, now what do you do with it? And I know that, you know, how added another layer, the church, generational trauma, how that... <laughs> Ooh, heightens this and makes it 10 times more that there is a resistance and a, if dare I say rebellion towards awakening. I have always said that I'm not here to evangelize if you, how you feel is how you feel. Mm -hmm. um, I don't care if you want to date trans people. I don't care if you want to be friends with trans people. Do you, do you view me and see me and, and feel worthy that my life matters? We can depart after everything there. Um, that is just my personal mantra, mine. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I can work with what we have. If you just feel as though my life matters and, and that's all important pronouns, I, we can get into all of that stuff later. But right. for the most part, hey, I exist. I'm here. I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of acceptance. I'm worthy of celebration because what you named with your family is being tolerated. Who wants that? Um, yeah, we, you know, I can go on and on. You brought up the church, and I was going to get there. Um, I'm going to play something for the audience and play something for you all, all right? And then Woo! I want, Corey, I want you to unpack this, okay? All right. So uh, this is a preacher, and I, I'm just going to play it, okay? I'm just going to play it. And guess what? I'm straight, and so is he. Oh, my God. Because we got a whole lot. A whole lot. I can't. 
question your sexuality if you don't hate around certain kind of folk. Birds of a feather flock together. All right, enough of that foolishness. So that was triggering. That was okay. a couple of things. You said you can't even shout straight um, because somebody was on your back. So one, why are you thinking about? Okay. Um, then he talked about birds of a feather flock together. So if you don't want people to question your sexuality, then don't hang around with certain type of people. Uh, I think the most, the, the, the biggest thing for me, other than the people co-signing and clapping and amen and all of that was the use, the, just the free use of the F word in the pulpit. Um, I would venture to say many of those people in that church would be upset if a white pastor was in a pulpit and said the N word with the hard E-R. Um, so to use that word so freely and it met with a chorus of hallelujahs, I think that's what disturbed me the most about, uh, that sound clip. But Corey, I'll start with you. What, 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 what's your initial thoughts? So I, I kind of feel like you're offended by the wrong thing. Mm. Um, the amount of sheer malpractice mm -hmm. as a preacher yeah. that occurred in that moment. I say this all the time. I could call as many bitches, fuck shit, hoes, uh, suck my... What The things that can come out of my mouth would never meet the moment of how vile taking the preaching moment to do that is. I agree. That 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 is far more profane than any profanity that I could use. Mm -hmm. And people get wrapped up in me cursing. Oh, he a pastor mm -hmm. and he curse. Oh, he a preacher and he talk like that. But have not one moment of pause when you hear somebody take the moment that that we as as pastors, as preachers, as ministers call sacred. Mm -hmm. to make a mockery of that space. Yeah. That this is the type of shit that caused Jesus to go in the temple, grab them cords that was hanging around them curtains and whip motherfuckers, turn over tables and throw them out. Yeah. Because this is supposed to be a house for all nations and you've turned it into a den of vipers mm -hmm. is what Jesus said. And that's how I reflect on, on people like that. Oh, that I mean yeah, that, I agree. My bad. Nah, it's 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 so and and then we can get to what was said. Right. And who yeah. who it was said to. Like the foolishness of saying, don't come in here. Right. That that even in your twisted and warped theology that says I'm sick, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sin sick. I'm my soul is sick. Don't come to the hospital. That Do that sick shit over there. Yep. Like, even if you believed the work theology that you say you do, you've just belied it in that very moment, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so for me and other colleagues of mine who still find ourselves in the, the realm of Christianity, um, but are, are queer and are focused on, like, the liberation message of the gospel, it becomes very hard for us.
to answer the question about how you could stay in a community like this when every Sunday, there every single Sunday across this country, there are hundreds of sermons like that. Yeah. Right. And then I have to grapple with that. Um, and it leads to a, a larger conversation about um, religious trauma syndrome, which people hear me talk about often. We talked about that last week. Um, so our whole show was dedicated to what you were just talking about. Our whole show last week was dedicated to spiritual malpractice, spiritual abuse, all of that, because um, we we watched Hunk for Jesus. And yeah. wow, that yeah. was a perfect illustration of how it really is. Perfect yeah. illustration. But can I say... So I think, like, like I said, there, there are, there's lots of projects that happen at once. So mm-hmm. you have this leader spewing out hate, right? Because mm-hmm. that's actually in contradiction of what the Bible says is love and forgiveness. But what about all those people that are there that are navigating yeah. the identity? Yeah, well, yeah, that. Yeah, so like you have you have the people that are saying they agree and right, the, the high-fiving and clapping and the amen and hallelujah, but what about your son, your child, your this, your that, your me, your her, your them, your they, but they're there too. So how are they supposed to feel that from hearing this from this, this spiritual leader, hearing it from my mom and my grandma, my uncle, and, 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 and so now, so what do we do about that? So to me, mm-hmm. that was the most problematic yeah. beyond, beyond what he was saying, because I live in the world. Right. And I, I've, I've lived in I live in United States of America. So I know what's said and done here. So you calling me a faggot. That's who. What am I doing with that? More so of how that impacts people that are mm-hmm. coming up and trying to find their identity. Um, people that are sitting in the church trying to do right, trying to find themselves. Do you know how many stories I've heard where trans people don't want to transition because of what, what that looks like in, in the afterlife or waiting to transition because they want their parents to pass first because they want to make sure they do right by them. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm still about the people, right? Like um, I care about how this impacts people and how, how that is very stifling to, to exist. I know what it's like to be queer and trans and what that felt like to perform in a way that was suitable for everyone that was around me. So imagine going to a place where everyone has deemed safe to be harmed um, in the most, in the most regard, where I'm supposed to be told safe, where I'm supposed to be loved and nurtured, where I'm supposed to be fed into. So I'm about the people. That was the most problematic because what I'm hearing in that is that child that's in the background saying like, oh, okay, or looking, or the person that's in the church choir or the the band director. I'm listening to them just just crying in silence, killing me softly. I'm and- glad you brought that up, Nile, because I'm just thinking about like, yeah, like. What if there was a because this happens, this is real people's lives. What if there was a 14-year-old kid in the audience who knows that they're queer and they're in a family that doesn't really support it and they don't want to come out, they get teased at school, they're contemplating suicide because if we want to talk about suicide rates amongst LGBTQ uh teenagers are high, right? And then this is the moment they're like, well, let me go to church. My granny wants me to go to church with her. Maybe I'll feel better because the church is supposed to make you feel good, right? It's supposed to bring you up. It's supposed to lift you, you know, find some peace. And they came that Sunday while in the midst of all of that. And boom, this is the sermon that they hear. And that's the malpractice that I'm talking about. Like, this is what Jesus says 
like bitter and and sweet water cannot come out the same fountain. Like it's contaminated and people come here to drink and are poisoned by the shit that you're offering them. Right. And and it's a responsibility that that we have to address things like that. Um, and, and I don't think the church, the black church, by and large, does a great job of that. But again, to link this back to the collective and the work that we're doing, one of the mental health practitioners that we'll be partnering with specializes in religious trauma syndrome. Oh, so great. so she will be um, a very dear friend of mine, eminently qualified. Um, I mean, if if not for the fact that she and I are brother and sister, she'd be my therapist. Um, but she she'll be one of a number of practitioners that we'll have that can help people. Awesome. Um, the producer wanted to ask a real quick question. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys, how often do you feel like you're receiving sexual punishment in your everyday life, in church, career? Because um, as I'm hearing you guys talk, I'm thinking about how often just your sexuality seems to be or, or how you identify seems to be a judge jury and court held. And then you're either talked to like this pastor did or excluded out of things. So is that an everyday occurrence for you? And what does it feel like? So let me say that I've come to a point in my life where if it is happening as often as it was happening, I don't see it. I'm mm -hmm. not aware to it because I projected so much space outward that there are very few instances where somebody delivers that to me directly. Mm -hmm. I know that I sit at a place of privilege because I show up looking as a cis hetero assumed man. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm keenly aware of that. And so it doesn't show up as often for me, but when it does, it is often with relatives and mm. folk in the church. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to say, um, <laughs> ooh, loaded question. Um, so when I was little, they told me, you act like a girl, that you're a sissy. Mm. Um, and then I transitioned, but you know that you're still a man. So no matter what, Mm. However, I identify. Shit. <laughs> however, I identify it doesn't appease whomever, right? So I'm I'm going by what you told me. So let's remove how I feel internally. I go by what you say, right? Because we we've all been socialized based on how people tell us to show up. You told me I act like a girl, so I became a girl. That girls wear pink, I wore pink, so I started to wear pink. Now I'm wearing pink. Hey. You are, you are a man. You should be wearing blue. Yeah, but do you understand how hypocritical y'all are, especially in the most crucial times of me identifying and learning who I was? And so to me, I've gotten to a point, I'm much older. Um, I've transitioned about as long as I've been alive. So y'all figure out that math. Um, I've gotten to a point with self where I will not be disrespected. And that comes in, in any facet, like, don't don't call me out of my name if we don't have familiarity. Bitches can be familiar. Like if you call me hoe, I don't know if I know you. All those things. So the actual the the mere sense of misgendering me or calling me a man does not offend me. Hmm. Will not disrespect me because I I have a very keen sense of self. 
Um, I had to get a keen sense of self because the cishet community doesn't know what they want, right? They'll tell you to perform a particular type of way every time you fail it, right? As cishet people, you fail it. You don't even perform masculinity the way that you say that you should, how masculinity should be performed. You don't perform femininity the way femininity is supposed to be performed. So when you have these expectations that even you fail, it's very misleading and untrue. It's disingenuous. So I'm going to worry about me. I'm going to focus on my sense of self. I have therapists. I have people that love me. I have chosen family. And chosen family is also with my biological family because like how Corey mm -hmm. said, I chose them too. Not all. Okay? Not all. But the, the family that I chose that are biological support me. They celebrate me. They uplift me. And they affirm me. So I don't have to feel the need to fill a void from anything external because I already got it. I always tell people my glow up was always internal. So it's not about how I look, whether or not I'm cis-assumed, whether or not people can clock me or not. I don't care. Right. I'm trained, so what? Like, oh, that's a man. Okay, so what? Now what? You clocked me and now what? Because I know who I am. So now my confidence will forever radiate. My self-assurance will forever radiate. That that is no longer a spade that you can throw down to wield against me because I'm very self-assured. I love that, Nile and Corey. I love those answers. Um, somebody's on Clubhouse. <laughs> Listen, Clubhouse needs a sponsor as many times we, they've gotten a name drop. But um, <laughs> <laughs> somebody on Clubhouse said something, and they weren't a part of the community at all. But they said, "I find it weird that Black people care more about sexuality than they do anything else." Well, that's not, it's not weird to me. I understand it very succinctly. So, okay. so um, why is that? A book that I, that I teach from um, is called Sexuality in the Black Church, A Womanist Perspective by Kelly Brown Douglas. Okay. Um, if you are Black, you should read it. And I say that because Kelly Brown Douglas makes clear uh, where she quotes, um, or attributes this idea to Michel Foucault that, that this discourse around sex and sexuality is actually about power. Mm. And Kelly Brown Douglas says, to be able to con control, to define, to curtail one's sexuality is to control their humanity. Mm. And if you can control their humanity, you have succeeded at the exercise of exacting power over them. And so black folks' sexuality has always been queer, one, right? Everywhere we look at white folks' gaze at our sexuality, there is something deviant, there is something wrong, there is something problematic. Mm -hmm. It has always been queer. And so black folk, as a result of this, have taken on this responsibility of claiming that power back. And who gets damaged, who gets hurt in the process, be damned, right? Because your, and, and she says in the book, privileged groups seek to define their, their sexual practices as the mythical norm. And anything that deviates from that, right, is deviant, uh, repulsive, et cetera. And so this is all about power. And when you have traditionally been in a position of not having power, you do everything that is within you to grasp and to grab at whatever opportunities to have that type of power exist.
Does that make sense, Micah? That's, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. You had anything else, Lizzie? So I love what you're talking about, Nile. It struck like a, a certain chord. And I, in the beginning of the conversation, you were talking about discrimination. How would you describe? Because I, I feel like there's some of our audience that wouldn't understand why you're still saying it's discrimination when you walk into spaces. So mm-hmm. is there a way that you can describe so they can know like the responses that you're talking about? Because I love that you have the confidence and you're like, I'm with myself and I'm good. Um, but I think that a lot of people, I'm just hearing the question that they'll be like, well, you chose to show up like this. So I get to have a response. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is one of those willfully obtuse responses to justify discrimination. Um, and especially since our audience is, you know, the black church, black people, we're constantly discriminated against. So it's kind of frustrating to hear you talk about this experience because you're in layers of discrimination just for being a person. And I think that we have to, as a community, acknowledge that and try to shift. So if you can give us um, a little bit more detail on that, I think that'd be great. Night. Can I can I just jump to give one example and toss to you? Is that okay? Thank you. So for the listeners, if ever this has occurred, this is an opportunity for you to be introspective. If you have ever paused, if there's ever been something uneasy, uh, a shock, like something that shakes you, even for, for a millisecond about if my child could be around a trans person, mm. if my child could be around a gay person. Oh, can I, is, are they okay being the babysitter? Is that cousin, if for a second you paused because of those, that, that circle of, of things, now we can start having a conversation. Go ahead, Nye. Because I imagine knowing what discrimination feels like in this country and then not being able to empathize when a person says, hey, I'm being discriminated too. Like, I just want to black that out and I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that you have a hard time joining um, the Olympics. I don't want to see that you have a hard time getting a raise at jobs. I don't want to see that you have a hard time dating. I don't really care because you chose this, like you said. But if we understand like how society still teaches everybody and how it's normalized to... to to, to treat tran- queer and trans people in a particular type of way that serve us no justice, then, then that speaks to, to the blind spot that you're willing to rest in. Like mm-hmm. we've been taught that on Jerry Springer, that it's okay to, to make fun and heckle at trans people. We actually, mm-hmm. we, are, we also, we are taught that when Martin dresses up as Shanene, that is comedy. So we're never to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Or when Medea dresses up as a trans woman and the church, because we want to wake that up. The Ooh. black church does not like transphobia, but they were the first ones to watch the Medea play. Oh, okay. Was she supposed to be drag? I don't get it. Okay, but got it. Um, the, the ability and and the, the willful resistance to being able to even empathize with a person that tells me about your humanity, especially if you say that you're a Christian. So if I if I'm sharing your if I'm sharing my experience to say, hey, this is my experience. If I just walk down the street, and what that's like, 
and the 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 hyper surveillance that I have on myself for my safety, Corey tells you, I am paranoid mm. to always constantly think, not only if I see sirens, are they going to stop and make a U-turn, but also if somebody notices that I'm trans, what are they going to do? So I marched on Washington um, back with um, the um, the March on Washington, the, the, the 100, women's. no, the 100 year reunion of um, mm. the March in DC. My sign read, I hope the white people don't notice that I'm black on the back of it. I hope the black people don't notice that I'm trans. My God. The, the amount of uneasiness that people had to sit with when they saw the back of the sign was, hey, yeah, I'm visible and I'm here for black rights, but y'all always forget that my black rights also intersects with my trans rights, my, my woman rights. Um, all the things that y'all start to sparse out to say, hey, are invalid because you're black first, but you don't see me in my transness. You don't see me in my womanhood. You don't see me in all the other things that I am still discriminated against. And you continue to, to, to lack empathy when I'm being vulnerable and sharing how this impacts me. So at that march, it was only a handful of us saying the names of the trans people that were also killed by police yeah. brutality. Yeah. So the failure to empathize, that's a you problem. And so I'm able to, to talk about the people of the hearts. I can, I can get on that level where we talk about the brain and talking about gender and, and sex. We can talk about the brain, but I got to get to the heart because if you don't understand how my humanity is, is just as valid as yours, when just a couple hundred years ago, we were three-fifths a person. So if you can empathize and understand what that means, how dare you tell me I shouldn't exist? Hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for answering my questions to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you. Um, so we've got to the point where, because um, we could have this conversation for hours upon hours upon hours. So I definitely <laughs> want to invite you all back at some point. Um, but I want to give the listeners enough so they can actually kind of digest and do some of their own work and then not be too overwhelming. So two more things that I have. One are there any books that you could recommend them to go out and read? And then two, I want to know how people can um, stay locked in and kind of support the work because this is definitely work that I need people to support. Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGry. I'm currently I'm on chapter six. Um, I'm about to start it over again. Um, that is a number one. Get that in your book list. Read that. Again, it's Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGry. That's my recommendation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sexuality and the Black Church, A Womanist Perspective by Kelly Brown Douglas. Uh, and their own Receive Them Not um, by Horace Griffin is uh, a similar type of text about uh, queer identified folk in the Black Church. So those two books are super duper important. Um, and shameless plug, I mean, no shame at all. Um, I am finishing, um, I'm in the process of writing my second book um, about reconciling queer identity, queer sexuality, and, um, and spirituality or Christianity. Um, that's going to be coming out sometime next year. Awesome. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm addressing all the things that, that I've had to address as a life coach, as a pastor, as a queer identified person that shows up in all those spaces. And the last part of your question about how people can stay connected 
how people can support. So the Just We Nile Mutual Aid Collective, um, you all can find us uh, and support the collective. You can donate as little as $5 a month or $5,000 a month. Um, and those funds are going to support black and brown queer identified folk in our communities that have need. And so we need people to make contributions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Over and over again. And then in November for Thanksgiving, we'll be hosting um, our chosen family um, Thanksgiving. Um, It's a queer giving um, is the theme is going to be uh, Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving Day for folk who don't or who would rather not go other places and be in a warm and welcoming environment for Thanksgiving. Same thing for Christmas. Um, and and those are those are some ways that people can do that. But also, if you're listening to this podcast and you know people who are in positions of need, who are facing positions of houselessness, housing insecurity, food insecurity, direct them to the collective. Because this is not about my friends and Eileen's friends and the people we're collect- connected to. We want to make ourselves available to our community at large. So as much as we want people to sign up and be contributors and help us financially, because that's needed, we also want people to say, hey, I know somewhere you can go to get the resources that you need. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, one, more, one more thing. Um, social medias. Uh, if you want to, you can give your social media out so people can follow you. I am just Sweet Nile on all social media platforms. J E S U I S N I I L E E. It is pronounced just Sweet Nile. It's French. Boom. It's French. <laughs> Perfect. And similar to Nile, I am Corey L. Scott on all social media platforms. That's C O R Y L S C O T T um, on all social media platforms. You can find us there. Micah. Can I share one more thing? Yeah, of course. So we are working on a huge, huge project, a huge endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is how much we have erased or ignored Black, queer identified folk over the course of history in this country, mm-hmm. especially. Um, and so I wanted to create something that took a ax to that and started to chop away at, at how we allow amazing people in our community who are doing amazing things to go unrecognized, uncelebrated, unheard of. Mm. And so I pulled together a team um, to include Nile and a number of members of the collective to produce um, what we just decided the name for it today um, is the Pauli Awards, named after mm-hmm. Pauli Murray, um, to, to celebrate uh, 40 under 40 Black LGBTQ+. And so next year, um, we are going to be taking nominations from people across the country to nominate amazing Black queer identified folk in your community that are doing dope work. And during Pride Month, in June, in New York City, we are going to have the Pauli Awards for the 40 Under 40 Black LGBTQ honors. Yo, I love that. I love that. Was that a, that's, that's an exclusive we just got? 
That is. I love that. Look at us getting the exclusive. That's amazing. And that's needed. Wow. And if people don't know who Polly Murray is, just say thank you right now. Every right that you have today in 2022 is probably traced back to the work that Polly Murray did. If we're talking about Brown versus the board and the rights that we received as black folks under the civil rights cases that resulted from that. Pauli Murray's senior thesis as a Howard Law graduate was what Thurgood Marshall and that team used to argue before the Supreme Court. If we're talking about women's rights, Pauli Murray was mentor to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and pioneered the ideas that Ruth Bader Ginsburg used for the 14th Amendment for, for women's rights. If we're talking about uh, gay marriage and marriage equality, Pauli's Mur Pauli Murray's work was used in the Hodge case in 2014. So many things, if we're talking about the lunch counters, if we're talking about uh, sitting on the, the white side of the bus in the 40s, prior to the shit happening in Montgomery, Pauli Murray, just say thank you. Thank you. To Pauli Murray. And so we've named the award after Pauli Murray. Um, there's a documentary called My Name is Pauli Murray. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it at the end. Say thank you. I love that. I love that. Especially when you talk about just the whole um, erasure, because that's real. We look at people. Um, that's why I'm so glad that uh, Coleman Domingo. Shout out to Coleman Domingo. Absolutely. Just want to Emmy. Um, but shout out to him. And I love that he's going to be in the new movie about uh, Bayard Rustin. Um, yeah. Another person who was kind of irate. And even people who black folks say that they love, like James Baldwin and Angela Davis, they forget that they live queer, queer identities. And it's, it's like, they don't talk about that part of their it's life. Not, it's not a forgetting. That's not a forgetting. That's a willful mm. erasure. Yeah. We practice that. That's yeah. selectively permeable memory. Mm -hmm. I've decided what can come in and what can can stay. Ain't nobody yeah. forgot Bayard Rustin was queer or uh, or James Baldwin was queer. We just ignore that gay shit. Do that gay shit somewhere else. Right. Right? You black yeah. first. They don't ignore it. They say turn it off. Yeah. Oof. When they say black first, don't, they say, turn it off. What in the video? Don't come in the church with that. Be mm -hmm. gay out there. Don't yeah. not gay at not at, at dinner. Not at the political meeting. Like, can we just talk about the? That's that's what happened. Sure. Let me turn my trends off. <laughs> right. So yeah, um, I, I'm excited for these awards. I will continue to be locked in. Um, and you, like I said earlier, you all um, always have a home here at Combos for the Culture. Anytime there's something new rolling out, just let me know. And uh, definitely want to work with you. Definitely want to work with Thank you. Thank you. And all right. We're, we're glad to support you. Thank you for having me. On. Thank you for having Nile on. Appreciate you. All right, listeners, that's it. You all know you can follow me on uh, Instagram at it's Michael B. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, it's all the same. And then make sure that you tap into our new um, Combos for the Culture uh, Instagram page. It is Combos for the Culture. Um, I'm going to start uh, putting less of this type of content over on my personal page because I'm doing more. Well, you'll see what's 
rolling out over there. But anything podcast related is going to be pushed out on Convos for the Culture on Instagram. So make sure you do that. Make sure that you leave us a rating and a review. I love that, you know, you all listen to the show, but it makes even, you know, it makes me happier when y'all leave a rating and a review. Um, all of their socials will be in um, the show notes as well as the website where you can go and you can donate and you can go find out more about the collective. So once again, thanks for listening and we will see you next time. I know, I know the show is over, but I want you to stay plugged in with us. Make sure that you follow Combos for the Culture on Instagram. Make sure you follow me at It's Micah B on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. I want to stay tapped in with you. And just look at the show notes, all right? Pull your phone out. Look at those show notes. See how you can support our guests. See how you can support the show. I need y'all to help us out if you want to. If you're feeling like it, all right? I will see y'all next time. Have a great weekend.